Welcome to Dragon's Eye Podcast, where we reassert alchemical balance by delving into profound and esoteric subjects from an all-encompassing perspective, such as ancient myths, arcane magics, cryptids, and ancient astronaut theory, and many other related topics. I'm your host, Shaman Gaia, a spiritual life coach and intuitive healer. I'm joined by my co-host, Morphia, an investigative journalist, scholar, herbalist, and fellow shamanic practitioner. So step into the portal, the dragon's eye, and join us on a rite of passage that will rekindle your wonder and re-inspire you to ever-renewing heights. Get ready to take flight into the uncharted skies where legendary cryptids dance amidst the clouds. As we embark on the final leg of our Cryptid Connection series, we'll explore tales that stir the senses and challenge the imagination. As we journey through these captivating tales, they will serve as a prelude to our in-depth exploration of the iconic Mothman of Point Pleasant. This American legend has cast ripples through time beckoning us to delve deeper into its mysteries. These cryptids have indelibly imprinted the folklore of their respected regions. The unsettling encounters with them continue to reverberate through the annals of history. Join us as we embark on a quest to unravel the secrets of these enigmatic flying cryptids while delving into the profound human fascination with winged omens and harbingers. Fasten your seatbelts, for this journey promises to be one for the ages. As I was doing my research for this episode, I found myself reflecting on the werewolf episode and the point we discussed about them being connected to ET intelligences. We talked about them being seen coming out of UFOs, and I can't help but think of the flying cryptid connection to UFOs as well. Many of these cryptids are seen as harbingers of doom or ill omen, and it makes sense when you consider that the Greek word for a bird, or nice, and ionos was also the word for an omen. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Birds were seen as signs in ancient mythology from all over the world. Birds, flying creatures, and anything like that, they were revered as the principal messengers of the gods, and they served as divine intermediaries that conveyed the will of deities to humankind. I want to talk a little bit about that here and where flying cryptids have come into that. The question I have at the beginning of this episode, before we delve into anything, is really about what role or what part flying cryptids play in this history and how or even who they are serving as messengers for and what their message is supposed to be. That's a good question, and I've asked myself that question too, and I have yet to come up with the answer. There are a lot of different possibilities regarding the cryptids and similar beings being messengers of the gods. I think it's interesting to note that a lot of people think that when they hear the idea of a messenger to the gods, there's some sort of relaying back and forth, and of course, again, thanks to Hollywood, there's this idea that a being has to fly back and forth, has to come before a council of gods and report like the banal affairs of 
humans, it's not at all the same. These beings, if they're messengers, if they're conveying these messages, the beings that are above them, ultra-terrestrial, extraterrestrial, whatever you want to call them, gods, they are able to see through these creatures' eyes, to be aware of their own consciousness, to be aware of those creatures' consciousness. So that's the way that it's more than likely working, as opposed to Mothman has to come back and fill out this report and, you know, file it in this Mothman cabinet. Because you see him dressed as Loki in the TVA or something. Yeah pulling out a report at a typewriter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you get the other guy, like uh, the Mobius character, looking over his shoulder, making sure he's filing the paperwork right, and giving him some kind of flack. Yeah, and his Mothman wings are getting in the way, but not the wings he actually has, the wings that look like butterfly wings. <laughs> yeah, right. All jokes aside, though, I think that it does make more sense harken back to stories of Merlin or a crystal ball and these beings or the sorcerer looking through the eyes of somebody else or something that they've placed in the way and it kind of gives that same vibe. Right, exactly. Massive flying humanoid creatures are included in myths from all around the world. Referencing our first three Dragon's Eye podcast episodes, there are numerous eyewitness accounts throughout history that reveal the trend of a remnant of very large creatures, winged and otherwise, that exist in various areas of the world, mostly wilderness or cavernous places little trafficked by humans. In addition to Mothman, there are many other flying humanoid creatures which have been reported for thousands of years by eyewitnesses. Some researchers believe that at least some of these cryptids could be related to the Titans and other overwhelmingly sized creatures mentioned in ancient myths. I am among them. That's a pretty valid claim and it makes a lot of sense. There are so many of these accounts that claim these flying cryptids look like something out of the Jurassic Age. Very ancient, very resilient, hard to kill type of thing. Exactly. And it also corroborates some of the more modern accounts, well at least since the late 1800s, 1900s, of these different people and these different cryptid encounters shooting at these things with shotguns and really heavy artillery and they don't seem to be phased. And it also corroborates some of the accounts of these creatures where people say they can produce the elements literally like the Thunderbird in Native American myth, producing lightning, or some of the Greek myths where they can shoot poisonous or sharp metal feathers out and like kill people immediately. Yes. And one of the other things is they're very territorial. They're very protective of their area, and that just speaks to something more primeval. Yeah. Among the list of modern creature epithets for flying cryptids are included the Native American Thunderbird, Van Meter Monster, Bat Squatch, Jersey Devil, Ahul, Flatwoods Monster, Kansas City Winged Demon, Wisconsin's Reptile Man of Highway 13, and some eyewitnesses have also described the Chupacabra as having wings. These are only a few of the many flying humanoid cryptids encountered all over the world. Most of these creatures have been described as ranging from 7 to 10 feet in height and having extremely large wingspans. For example, the following wingspans have been provided from eyewitness accounts. Kansas City Winged Demon, 12 to 15 feet. Bat Squatch, 20 to 50 feet. And the Thunderbird has been estimated to have a wingspan of 70 feet according to some eyewitness accounts. Those are beyond doubt titan-sized creatures. At this point, it is important to note that some of these flying cryptids could indeed be remnants from the dinosaur epic. For at least 50 years, but probably even longer, witnesses have reported larger-than-human-sized flying pterosaur-type creatures in the skies of Texas and some of the southern U.S. 
quick question. If you ever had to see one of these in real life, one of these cryptids that fly, which one would you choose and why? It's a good question. Honestly, you know, I hate to choose. <laughs> I'd really rather see all of them as many as I could, but some of the top that range on the top of the list, the werewolves, the vampires, I'd like to see the rebops too. Get a little bit of that Wizard of Oz flying monkey thing in there. The lizard man of Scape or Swamp. Of course, any of the dragon beings or the ancient astronaut dragon beings. There are so many, again, I would like to see all of them, honestly. But of course, another musty would be the merman. So what cryptids would you most like to see? Knowing what I know about what we have researched and found out, none of them, honestly, and I don't want to wet myself. <laughs> but if I had to choose, it would have to be something like Chupacabra, maybe. We're not going into a great amount of detail on these particular cryptids. We're just giving an example of all the different types of flying cryptids that are out there. Mothman is the focus of this particular episode, so we will revisit in the future these other cryptids, such as the Jersey Devil and the Batsquatch and the Alhul and some of these other ones. There was a very strange cryptid encounter that occurred in the town of Van Meter, Iowa in 1903. It made the headlines in newspapers on a couple of occasions. One of the headlines from that time reads, quote, Awful winged form shedding dazzling light terrifies an Iowa town. End quote. A summation of the story is as follows. In 1903, the people living in the town of Van Meter, Iowa were horrified by strange winged creatures. The town at that time had about 1,000 residents. Can you tell us a little bit about what that town was like? Yes. So back then in 1903, it would have probably been considered a larger town. It had a brick mill and uh, some other industrial type buildings and places. But by today's standards, it would be considered a very small town. I'm sure back then it was probably just barely out of the saloon days. One particular night, Eugene Griffith, a local Van Meter businessman, saw a strange light on top of a building at approximately 1 a.m. He thought the light was the lantern of a robber. The light disappeared and quickly reappeared on top of a different building, a considerable distance from the first one. The following night, the local doctor awoke to strange sounds outside. The next morning, he spoke with other townspeople regarding the incident. The following night, the banker decided to spend the night at his bank. He thought the strange events were due to the presence of a robber. Around 1 a.m., he heard strange noises outside the front doors, and he shot out the window from the inside. He was too scared to look. He thought he had killed a robber or perhaps a large animal, but there was only broken glass. He discovered large three-toed tracks around the outside of the bank. Another resident of the town saw the creature descend a telephone pole after they shot at it. Sounds like they were having a rootin' tootin' good old boy time, just being able to shoot something without any real repercussions, especially considering the creature was not actually aggressing any of them according to their own accounts. That reminds me of that Impossible Hulk sketch with Idris Elba on SNL. Yeah. It's like the townspeople were Idris Elba as his entitled white woman, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the creature was the person who was just happened to be in the line of fire, and they're like, I feel aggressed, let go of me, and it's like, I'm not doing anything, what are you talking yeah. about? And they start shooting, that would be a lot. And he's like, keep laughing. <laughs> and the chick's like, we're not laughing, no one's laughing. No one's laughing, what are you talking about? The witness told others that the creature flew out of town toward the coal mine. The next night, the hardware store owner heard a metallic scraping sound outside. 
Was this the third night of activity with this creature? According to the accounts that I have, it should be the fourth night. That is probably that the accounts are actually accurate. That would be terrifying. Could you imagine four nights of nobody knows what's happening, everybody thinks it's something else, that it's not, people are seeing all kinds of weird shapes? Yeah, well, especially since they sound ultra-paranoid anyway, and obviously afraid of the dark and things like that. Back in 1903, a lot of that fanatical religious conditioning was still going on, and some people were calling it some kind of devil and demon and stuff like that. It was obviously a carryover from the prehistoric epic. These creatures were coming out of the coal mine, and it's been known that these throwbacks to more prehistoric times have been found in these cavernous areas deep inside the earth, and they come out. Yeah, that whole digging in the earth, opening up caverns for coal and all that stuff is bound to release some stuff that's been hiding down there, rightfully so, for a long time. Yeah. The hardware store owner heard the metallic scraping sound. He looked out a window and saw a large creature perched on top of the telephone pole. An immense creature. And yet again, very predictably, he shot at the creature. Of course he shot at him, because why would you ever just mind your business? Again, like I said, they're not aggressing these people. They're just perched there, just minding their own business. Can you say trigger happy? Trigger happy. He shoots the creature, but it doesn't seem to face the creature at all. As a matter of fact, the creature simply woke up and shone a bright light on him. The man said it sprayed a strange odor into the air, and he didn't remember anything else about the night after that. That's really wild, and I wonder how many other cryptids have the same kind of pheromone spray that makes people forget that they've seen it. Yeah, well, especially those more prehistoric types, the ones that are very immense and not so vulnerable to gunshot and things like that. They obviously have very leathery and rough exoskeletons of some sort. And especially if they're used to humans shooting at them unprovoked. Yeah. After this incident, the town assembled a group of men to go to the coal mine. They waited for the creature, and eventually, under the cover of darkness, it emerged from the mine and flew toward the town. Near dawn, it returned to the mine. It had a smaller, identical creature with it. The waiting crowd opened fire on the pair, but it did not seem to affect them, and they disappeared into the mine. Today, the mine is sealed, but it remains the subject of much curiosity and debate. And Meter also hosts a Van Meter Monster Festival, similar to the Mothman Festival, held in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And it sounds like it obviously had a baby if it had a smaller, identical creature with it. Yes, and that is another testament to the fact that these creatures are not just solitary creatures when they are witnessed and encountered. Many of these creatures, there are several of them, and there are groups of them, so it's misguided to assume that they are singular. That kind of makes it easier when people feel like they can isolate, oh, this is just the one creature. They don't have children, they don't have communities. We are justified in exterminating them, and that's been a theme across human history and animal history. Even though this episode is focusing on the Mothman, we're also discussing these other immense humanoid flying cryptids. And similar to the Van Meter monster, we have the Kongamato, which is a cryptid often associated with African folklore and is believed to inhabit regions of Zambia and the Congo. It's commonly described as a large bird-like creature with a wingspan of around 7 to 10 feet, and it resembles a pterosaur or a pterodactyl. Witnesses claim to have seen this flying cryptid in various parts of Africa, specifically in the swampland in northwest Zambia. Its name means breaker of boats or overturner of boats, as Kongamatos are said to have capsized the canoes of natives and attacked people who ventured too close to the nearby rivers. Wow, that's quite interesting. 
unlike the story of the Van Meter monster, it is actually quite aggressive to human beings and really anything that's big enough to be a threat to it. Mm. It's described as a reddish lizard with membranous wings and teeth in its beak. Its wingspan ranges from four feet to a hundred feet across, so there's quite a variation in how big this creature can be. It has a long, thin tail with a diamond-shaped tip, and it's thought to eat mostly fish, but occasionally the Kongamato is said to dig up shallow graves and steal human corpses. Very interesting. That makes for an easy meal. Right. When I was initially researching these cryptids, when I read that physical description, could you guess what kind of animal came to mind? Yeah, I can. A dragon. Yeah. It has a very dragon-like appearance and especially that long beak with teeth all in it. In the 1920s, a man named Frank Melland, who was a traveler in the area, he learned about the creatures from the natives and showed them a picture of a pterosaur and they said that that was a picture of a kongamato. That's obviously some crystal clear confirmation right there. And it's important to note right here that Meland was looking for information about creatures like this. And after him, there are several historic reports of European explorers being attacked by large-winged creatures. And quite often, people were reported to have received wounds from this creature, the settlers. Because, of course, the natives did not make it a habit to go into the swampland where they knew this creature was living. The accounts of the natives that have encountered the Kongamato are on record because they were asked to go and check it out. <laughs> by the yeah. the explorers and it was often that they received like a wound to the chest almost like this creature ducked its head and ran at them with its beak yeah or could it actually be using the diamond tip tail to strike at them like a stingray or something like that yeah and whenever people are trying to disprove this creature's existence or discredit it they say things like oh maybe it was a stingray because of the chest wound or maybe it was like some kind of spoonbill heron or whatever things that don't make any sense Yeah, of course. More recently, in 1956, an engineer, J.P.F. Brown, allegedly saw the creature at Fort Rosebury in northern Zambia. He said it was around 6 p.m. when he saw not one, but two creatures flying slowly and silently directly overhead. And again, it's important to note, people see these things flying, but they do not hear them flying. It reportedly had a long, thin tail and a narrow head, which he likened to an elongated snout of a dog. Out of many of the testaments of people having witnessed the Kongamato, this claim in 1956 remains the only one where someone has seen more than one at a time. I think it's interesting how the predatory creature has flipped and is now running defense against humans, and that seems to be a consistent thing, because by all counts, this creature should be able to tear anybody apart, and apparently it has caused significant damage to people and their boats, if that's what its name literally means. Right. That's quite fascinating that that translation is breaker of boats. This thing is obviously very strong and has enough momentum to shatter a boat, so that's a lot of power. Segwaying into another flying cryptid that is similar to the previous ones that we discussed, the Bat Squatch is not quite as prehistoric looking, but is still somewhat aggressive. It is believed the sightings of the Basquatch did not begin until just after the eruption of Mount St. Helens in the 1980s, but there were reports of such sightings prior to that event. In the 1970s, there was an encounter in Texas in the Rio Grande Valley. Two brothers were driving down the road when suddenly a gigantic winged humanoid creature landed on the road in front of their car. They claimed this creature was at least 10 feet tall. The brothers were scared and immediately began moving the car in reverse, but the creature leaped forward toward the car as though it was going to attack it. 
heads. Shortly thereafter, the creature flew away. This report differs from other Basquatch eyewitness reports in that the brothers specifically stated that the creature's face did not resemble a bat, but instead a wolf. There was another encounter of this type in the 70s in Texas. A father and son were hunting when suddenly a gigantic Basquatch creature swooped down and picked up the father. The son defending the father shot at the creature. This shocked the creature enough that it dropped the father and flew away. The father was injured with broken bones and deep talon marks on his body. It should be noted here that large-sized birds with which we are familiar have been known to stalk and pick up small children, but none have ever been witnessed attempting to pick up full-grown adults. Because of this detail, it stands to reason this creature must have been enormous in size. To have been able to lift a full-grown adult male off the ground, it would have been gigantic. During this time in the 1970s, there were an additional 10 sightings of this creature. Many of the witnesses involved in these sightings specifically stated the creature's face did not look like a bat. And again, we go back to the idea that these creatures, whether it's the bat squatch or other flying humanoid type creatures, these cryptids have shown that they do not fit a specific image right. in many different cases. Some of these immense seven feet and taller cryptids can be described as having baboon faces, bat faces, old witchy looking faces, whatever that means, and wolf faces. The permutations and the combinations seem to be limitless. And that tracks from our conversations about the other cryptids that we've spoken about in this series. There are so many different versions and, like you said, permutations of the same creatures that it's impossible to just say, well, this is a werewolf and this is a vampire and this is because so many creatures blur the lines. Yeah. They're just kind of a hodgepodge of various types of beings. Yeah. And my question is, what kind of experiment was somebody hoping to fulfill in mashing these creatures together? Whenever we have these large humanoid-looking ones, we've always got some kind of mammalian element. There might be some kind of fish or reptilian element, like a chimera almost, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned experimenting with these different types of creatures and matching different faces with different types of bodies, things like that, because not only were these accounts referenced in the ancient myths with Enki and Enlil and those ancient Sumerian myths, but also there are more modern mentions of that experimentation, scientific, mad science, whatever you want to call it, like the other cryptids, the Rebobs of Napa Valley in California. There is a legend attached to that that there was a mad scientist type who was experimenting and basically combined a monkey with a human and a bird-like creature and created these flying monkey-type creatures. Again, another concurrent theme. An honorable mention in the flying cryptids is the chonchon, which is a bird-like creature from Chile and Argentina with a human head that detaches from its body to fly through the night. The chonchon is said to be a very powerful wizard who transforms into a bird-like creature, flies around at night, and can only be seen by other sorcerers. To become a chonchon, the sorcerer must rub an ointment on their throat, recite an incantation, and in some stories, the sorcerer must put feathers on their head to transform them into wings. The head then detaches from the body and flies away thanks to the flapping of the large ears and it will be able to spy on whoever it wishes. It's also important to note that the Chonchon needs dark moonless nights to travel around and even though it has wings they are usually silent despite having to flap them to move through the air. The Chonchon is known as a harbinger because it feeds on the souls of the sick and hovers around the house of an incurably ill person. Since the Chonchon is just a flying head, the body must remain where it was left. If someone finds and moves the body, the Chonchon will die. It's pretty fascinating. It reminds me a lot of the Asian Lamia. Mm -hmm.
Cryptid's story originated in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where the cryptid was encountered by numerous people from November 15, 1966 to December 15, 1967. The sightings culminated with the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15, 1967 during rush hour traffic, wherein 46 people died. When sightings began, the first newspaper report was published the following day in the Point Pleasant Register, dated November 16, 1966, titled, Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature, Something. The national press soon picked up the reports and helped spread the story across the United States. Many designated debunkers immediately attempted to spin the story into something completely absurd, as they so predictably do even today, by feebly claiming the source of the sightings was possibly out-of-migration sandhill cranes or herons. Many of the eyewitnesses, some of whom were also avid outdoors types, vehemently denounced this go-to explanation birthed by officialdom and their emissaries. Mothman has been perceived by many as a harbinger of impending danger, meaning it is considered a creature that appears to certain people or in certain areas to warn those seeing it of a coming disaster that results in death or mass deaths. One of the original eyewitnesses, Marilyn Brokaw Hall, reported her eyewitness Mothman encounter. She had been asleep but was roused awake and decided to look out the window. She then saw a tall, shadowy figure looming just outside in the family's yard. The creature was described as having glowing, bright red eyes and standing at seven feet or taller. Marilyn later mentioned her encounter to her father, who dismissed it. Only a few months after her sighting, her father was involved in an airplane crash in which 61 people were killed. He was one of only 16 people who survived. Flight TWA-128 was a plane coming from San Diego, California to Boston, Massachusetts, but it stopped in Cincinnati. When it attempted to land, there was not enough runway for the plane and it crashed into an orchard one and a half miles north of the airport. This incident occurred less than one month prior to the collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant. Many residents of Point Pleasant involved in the bizarre occurrences that transpired between 1966 and 1967 claimed that daily life at this time constantly felt like a very tense and heavy feeling of accelerating turbulence leading to an inevitable catastrophe. It has often been mistakenly alleged that after the collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, Mothman disappeared altogether and was never seen again. This is entirely inaccurate. Many investigators of the Mothman case have cited that numerous eyewitnesses were still coming forward long after the Silver Bridge tragedy occurred. Some Mothman sightings are still reported even today, and not only in the Point Pleasant area, but also in parts of Chicago, Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and other states across the U.S. In my research, I found that Illinois has become quite the hotspot for Mothman sightings. Yes. And specifically around the O'Hare International Airport for the last seven years, really, with the most recent one being, I think, in April of this year. Interesting. Yeah. And so a lot of people are wondering what is about to happen in Chicago. One of the most recent accounts I found was from a Chicago fireman who was stationed at O'Hare International Airport. And on December 29th, 2022, he reported that he heard what sounded like a chirping sound and a shuffling nearby. He looked around and that's when he heard a clicking coming from across the street. And when he looked up, standing on the edge of the HVAC plant was a very tall, thin, human-like creature with 
huge wings. The wings were spread out, so he was really able to see them clearly, and the creature was looking directly at him with a pair of large red eyes that had the intensity of, he says, a pair of taillights or one of the lights of an engine. The fireman went on to say that the wings on this creature were 15 feet in length and that the stare down took place for about 5 to 7 seconds before it flapped its wings, flew away, and completely disappeared. When the fireman went to tell his co-workers what he had seen, a few of them spoke up and said that this was not the first time that they had seen this or that other people had reported it. They also reported that it had been seen around the HVAC plant a few times by people and around the airport by hundreds, not singles, hundreds of employees, passengers, and pilots. No, that's a pretty large testament. Mm-hmm. So if we're to believe and to go off of the explanation that the Mothman and the Lake Michigan monster are harbingers and they're warning people of something, then what is about to happen or what might happen in this area? That's a good question. During and after the highly concentrated occurrences in Point Pleasant from 1966 through 1967, multiple witnesses reported being awakened in the night to what sounded like someone leaping onto their rooftops from out of nowhere. The witnesses repeatedly stated the same things, including that once awake, they could hear the creature stomping across their roofs with what was obviously a very heavy weight akin to a man or much larger. Some witnesses stated the creature would be present on their rooftops for as long as 15 to 20 minutes. Some claimed upon trekking the footfalls to windows just beneath the sounds, they then saw the creature dive off the roof and into the night sky, either flying directly past the window or off into the distance away from it. The witnesses of these specific events also cited seeing the glowing bright red eyes as the creature flew away. Most of these rooftop occurrences were reported from 1968 through 1970. Mary Heyer was one of the reporters who specifically chronicled the ongoing encounters of Mothman after the Silverbridge collapse. She compiled voluminous data from eyewitness encounters pertaining to the UFOs, Mothman, and the infamous Men in Black during the time period. In December of 1967, Heyer was visited by the Men in Black in her office just after the bridge tragedy. It is alleged she was threatened by them to cease writing any content pertaining to the Mothman and related UFO activity in the area. Another wave of incidences surged in 1972 with reports of newspaper carriers seeing what they thought were prehistoric-sized bird-like beings along their routes in the pre-dawn hours of the morning, and a couple who also reported what they described as a, quote, winged demon, end quote, that clung to the roof of their car. That kind of intimidation reminds me of the story of John Barger from the werewolf episode where those guys stopped him and said, if you don't. The difference here is that so many people were seeing this that threatening Mary Heyer was just one thing, but everybody was talking about it in town. Yeah, right. It's true that everyone in town was talking about it, and the Men in Black were not exactly making their presence secret. They actually appeared in some of the cafes and other spots in downtown Point Pleasant, and at one point, one of the eyewitness accounts reads that the Men in Black actually threatened an entire restaurant. They were walking around inside the place, and basically, as the story goes, that I recall, they were standing near the door as if to bar anyone from leaving, and they were telling people about how none of them were going to talk about this, and etc., etc., way coming across to everyone in the restaurant in a very threatening manner. Could you imagine, um, what's the name of the actor who plays Mr. Smith in the Matrix series? 
uh, Hugo Weaving. Yeah, could you imagine like Hugo Weaving and one of the other guys just standing there? Which, at face value, they're not really that threatening, but these men in black had an aura about them, and people reported that they were threatening, even though they didn't, you know, seem to be yeah. imposing, but they had a presence to them that people just did not want to mess with them. Yeah, Hugo Weaving's character in that is very intimidating, and at first in a very low-key way, but extremely intimidating the way he comes across and that direct eye contact that he makes and that raised brow look that he gives. And then, of course, the tone of his voice, Mr. Anderson, and all that, so I'm sure that's a lot of what was happening. Almost a decade after the initial encounters, Mothman captivated the masses on June 23, 1975 when John A. Keel published the book, Visitors from Space, The Astonishing Story of the Mothman Prophecies. Keel interviewed countless eyewitnesses and conducted an exhausting analysis of the overall occurrences, which were not only associated with Mothman encounters but also included altercations with the men in black, multiple UFO sightings, and strange paranormal phenomena, all during the same time period in the Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Area. The first known encounter with Mothman occurred in November of 1966. Linda and Roger Scarberry and Steve and Mary Mallet had a startling eyewitness encounter with the creature just outside Point Pleasant in an abandoned munitions facility known as the McClintic Wildlife Management Area, or as the locals called it, the TNT Area. At this time, the creature was referred to as the Birdman in initial news reports. Many witnesses claimed it looked and behaved like a bird and had very owl-like traits, but was as large as a six to seven foot tall man. The idea of a giant humanoid bird that occasionally descends from places unknown to interact with humans is a very ancient one and has its roots in many cultures across the world. The original title of Keel's book was called The Year of the Garuda. This was his attempt to connect Mothman with the Hindu mythology of these types of winged entities. In this mythology, the Garuda is a gigantic sunbird that serves as the vehicle for the god Vishnu. This bird is depicted with humanoid features such as two or four arms but having the body of an eagle. This bolsters the idea that whatever Mothman was, he can be traced back to a kind of archetype. Screech owls and other birds are often associated with death omens in many cultures across the world. If an owl is outside your window or banging on it during the night, it is considered a warning that someone is going to die. Likewise, in many Native American beliefs, if a bird entered your house, it was also considered an advance notice of a coming harm, sickness, or death. Some also speculated that the Native American Thunderbird could be tied to the Mothman appearances, but because it is a southwestern tribal creature and not Shawnee of the region of West Virginia, many feel Mothman was not at all associated with the Thunderbird. Thank you for immersing yourself in the enigmatic world of flying cryptids in this first episode of Cryptid Connections Mothman. We've soared through the tales of the Van Meter Monster, the Kongamato, Bat Squatch, and Chonchon, recognizing them as echoes of an age of primeval titans. In our journey through Mothman's history, we've merely scratched the surface. So stay tuned for part two where we plunge deeper into the inexplicable aspects of the Mothman phenomenon. Get ready to unravel the web of UFO and Men in Black encounters 
the elusive concept of harbingers found to this day. Thank you for joining us on this transformative journey through the Dragon's Eye. Stay connected on Instagram and TikTok at Dragon's Eye Podcast for additional content, behind-the-scenes glimpses, and updates on upcoming episodes. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platforms, we would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to our channel, and leave a comment.